Amen, amen, amen. Isn't it fun to follow Jesus? Isn't it fun when he jukes, when we think he's going to jive, he goes right and we go left, and it turns out uh, that he invites us to go along with him. He slows down a little bit and says, come on, wait, 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 nope, this way. I don't know if you saw uh, Porter this morning. He, he didn't want to go back to the nursery. He, he's, out of, he's out of the rhythm, right? It's been a little bit, so it's first day back, so he wanted to come in to the music. Uh, I think that, that David might be his favorite. Maybe Josh, I'm not sure. I don't want to start an infight over there, but he wanted to see the music. Music comes to an end. He says, I'm ready to go to class. So we start going to class, and I come around this way because I want to walk all the way around. I want to cut through. What does he do? Shortest path between A and B is a straight line, so he's about to start climbing over, and I have to say, no, 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 this way. I put my hand on his head this way. And we walk them back around. Sometimes God does that with us. That we start going one way. He says, no, 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 this way, this way, this way. Ah, ah, ah. And he says, this way is better. And I think in a lot of ways, as I was studying and praying for this week, I think God kind of took me by the back of the head. And he said, ah, 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 this way. Because I thought I kind of had a beat on Hebrews. I mean, it's real simple, isn't it? Jesus is better. Don't go back. That's the book of Hebrews. Like I can save you a lot of time in seminary. I can save you a lot of Jesus is better. Don't go back. And it's all one big argument. But I kind of had a beat on that, right? Jesus is better than Moses and the priests and the angels. He's better than the old covenant. Don't go back. Got it. Thanks. But yet late last night as we're coming even this morning, Jesus said, ah, 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 let's, let's come back this way. Because you look at Hebrews and there's a lot of, it's a deep river. Isn't it? I mean, you think about all that we talk about and we study and learn in Hebrews. We talk about the sufficiency of Christ. We learn and we read about God's revelation in Jesus, about Christ's full humanity, that he is the true human. We learn about grace and spiritual maturity. Goes in deep on apostasy, giving up and saying, thanks, but no thanks, God. I don't want in. Not like I lost my faith. I can't find my keys. I lost them. Nope. I just don't want in anymore. Deep waters, the inner workings of the priesthood and the old covenant, the hall of fame of faith, the the Old Testament. You know, there are 30 quotes from the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews, over 70 references. So if you want to go deep on the Old Testament, well, Hebrews is a great place to begin, that there's all kinds of midrash or or commentary on the Hebrew scripture. There's all of this. And as you look at it, you go, man, this is a book that as it goes deep, as it elevates faith, you go, you know what? If I want to have a faith like that, I must be blue star. I must be blue ribbon, five star. I must have it all together. If I'm going to be a hall of fame faith kind of person, if I'm going to have a don't go back, Jesus is better kind of faith, I must have to be the best of the best. And it was there that Jesus said, ah, 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 ah. come back this way. Not, not that way, but this way. Because you see in a book that talks about all of that, a sermon, a letter that goes as deep into waters like that, it's a book that's dedicated to the doubters, to the strugglers. It's a, it's a letter that's written for the quitters, for the, for the questioners. The sermon that was given for the I don't have it all together-ers. God's speaking through man into scripture for the New Year's resolution breakers. For the, is this cost really worth it-ers? Have you ever been there? Is it really worth it? It was written to a people who maybe resonated with the 
did you bring us all the way out here into the wilderness to die hungry? At least we had food when we were slaves to Pharaoh Ur's. It was written to people whose faith was not blue ribbon and perfect in the way that we would think about it in the American dream. It was written for a people who wanted to throw in the towel for believers who started following Jesus and then started going, you know what, maybe this just isn't worth it. Maybe I ought to go back to the old way. Because when I was in the old way, I didn't have to deal with this. It wasn't great, but it was a lot more comfortable than this. Have you ever found yourself there? Where you'd rather do the thing that you know isn't good for you because it's more comfortable than being uncomfortable in the newness that God brings for you. You see, it's here that I just know... um, I've heard God speaking to me this week that in October of 2020 that we're hurting not as a, just as a nation but like as families like as individuals like if, if somehow we could be privy to all of the things that are happening in the homes of just people in our community we would be shocked and you would go wait that's happening in, in their house? Like they're struggling with that. I mean, like there, there are people in our community, the bills are getting bigger and the bank account is getting smaller and they're not sure how they're going to make it. People who have been successful by every measure of the word, who have all of the right outside stuff and you look at them and go, man, I wish I was them. From the inside out, they're going, I don't know how we're going to make it next week. It's not a 2020 thing. It's just a human thing. Remember, there was a point, I can't remember who it was, way back in the day. Uh, old school Riverside, somebody said, man, I, I wrote a check for, for my giving this week, and I just prayed that God would give me money before that check bounced, and I had to explain to the pastor why my donation bounced. For the, he's like, it's, it's in that place. There's a lot of us there. That there are couples that haven't slept in the same bed for months, that are nothing more than bad roommates, married for 20 years, and today they're bad roommates. There are folks in our community whose insurance won't approve what the doctor says needs to be done to provide care for someone in their family. The hate and the division and the violence and the, the, the lack of clarity on who you are and where you belong and what your purpose is on earth. All of that is here in our lives, in our community, and there's a temptation to go, you know what, maybe this Jesus thing isn't worth it. Maybe I ought to just go back. You know, like I, it wasn't great before, but maybe it'll be better than this. But friends, can I tell you today, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anywhere that you could go, than anything you could. Jesus is better. Too often we quit on Jesus, not because he's not good, but because he doesn't meet our expectations of good. Too often we give up on Jesus and we go back to the old ways because he didn't act the way we expected him to act. He didn't do the way we expected him to do. He didn't respond with the speed or the clarity or the answer we wanted him to respond. His cold shower truth was just a little too cold. And we say, you know what, maybe it's not worth it. Let's just go back to the old ways. Friends, if you're there, I want you to know that you're in the place of true faith. 
True faith isn't a place that lacks those doubts. If anything, Hebrews shows us that that's where faith is. That's where faith grows. That's the reason we have faith. I don't have to know that I'm tough if I don't ever go through tough times. It's easy to be tough when the wind is at your back and you have no competition. I'm great at basketball when I play my eight-year-old. Put me up against LeBron, it's a different story, right? It's easy to have faith when you don't need it. The whole purpose of faith is that we would have it when we actually need it. My friend Luke Norsworthy, he wrote a book. It's called God Over Good, How Losing Our Expectations of God Could Save Our Faith in God. And in it, he writes something that really haunts me in a deep way. He wrote this, suffering is often when we sober up to who God actually is and not just what we expect God to be. And then we must decide to stay or let our faith be washed away. You know, some of us are there today where we're having to decide, wait a minute, God's not acting the way I thought he was acting. Should I stay or should I go? My marriage isn't happening the way that I thought it was going to be. Prince Charming turned out to be a bit of a dud. <laughs> do I stay or do I go? I've done everything right and things still go wrong. I'm trying to do right by my family. And at every turn of the way, it just gets harder. There's another mountain to climb. Maybe it's just not worth it. I could go be by myself. I'll send a check once a month to clear my conscience. And I'll go find something that makes me happy. And yet faith says, no, no, no. There's a better way. Jesus is better than our expectations of Jesus. That God is better than we can imagine God to be. And it's with that we come into Hebrews and we see that there's a people some 2,000 years ago that were dealing with the same thing. Their pools were different than ours. Their, their draws back, it was to something different, back to Judaism, back to an old way. And yet it was a pool all the same. I asked my friend Luke Turpin, I have a lot of friends named Luke uh, to help me put a picture together to help us see Hebrews. Because I want us to see that in, in the book of Hebrews, there's this one current, this one argument that goes all the way through. And it's the argument that you and I need to remember today. No matter what tributaries contribute to it, Jesus is always better. And so I asked him to put this picture together. Go ahead and throw it on the screen. As we look at it, Throughout Hebrew, there's one theme. Jesus is better. Don't go back. Jesus is better. And in chapters 1 and 2, we see the argument made that Jesus is better than the angels. And we could go down deep on the angels, couldn't we? But no matter how deep we go, it's going to bring us back. Jesus is better. Don't go back. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to your old ways because Jesus is better than Moses. Moses is your dude. Moses did some things. Jesus is better than Moses. Right? It comes down, Jesus is better in five and seven than the priest. You elevate and honor the priests for their work. But Jesus is better. So Jesus is better than the priest. So don't go back to an old system. Jesus is better. In eight through 10, Jesus is better than the old covenant. 11 through 13, Jesus is better than our present circumstances. Over and over and over again throughout Hebrews, he's reminding them no matter what pool there may be, no matter what way you think the old way might be better, Jesus is better. So don't go 
back. And today, I, I want you to hear. But no matter what stream might be calling you, don't go back. Jesus is better. And with each of these sections, as you look, it helped me understand how to process through Hebrews. As I think this theme all the way through, with each of these sections, there's three things that happen. There's an argument in each one of these sections as to why Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the old covenant. And there's this argument about that. Today, we're going to look in Hebrews 8. And as we walk through Hebrews 8, 1 through 13 today, it continues all the way to Hebrews 10 and 18. And it's this big argument. Jesus is better than the old covenant. We see that he's better than the priest. He's better than the old covenant. His work, his sacrifice is sufficient. So don't go back to the old inferior way. That with each of these sections, they make an argument like that. It keys off of an Old Testament passage in Hebrews 8, 10 through 18. It's Jeremiah 31. We're going to read it today. In chapters 1 and 2, it's Psalm 8. Chapters 3 and 4, Psalm 95, 5 and 7, Psalm 110. Again, there's this, what he's doing is he's taking this Old Testament passage and he's reading it and understanding it as something that points to a bigger future, that points to Jesus. And then he gives an encouragement. Hey, here's how you go and live life now. Here's how you keep going down the river of Jesus is better in light of all of that. And if you can catch that structure... Like it, it really makes Hebrews less intimidating. And it allows you to get to a place where now I'm not intellectually, I'm not structurally hindered, but instead I can go, God, will you speak to me even through this, right? Uh, N.T. Wright summarizes uh, really what happens in each of these sections really well. So I want you to hear this because, again, it's all about catching this so that as we look at Hebrews 8, you're ready to go. Here's what N.T. Wright says. The writer of Hebrews, what he's doing is choosing passages from the Old Testament which say, in effect, what we have is good, but God is doing something better. What we have is true, but it isn't the whole truth. What we know at the moment is important, but the most important thing we know is that God is planning to do something more. And the whole letter is written in order to say this, the something more, the whole truth, the better thing has now arrived in Jesus. So whatever you do, don't go back to the old things. However good and however true they were, they are now taken up in the new and in the better. See, it's this simple picture that whatever good you were holding on to, Jesus is better. That whatever, whatever good you found, that was just pointing to something more. It was pointing beyond itself. And even today, if they look at the covenant, maybe the strongest, most like on the nose, challenge identity argument for not going back is in the covenant. Because this was how God interacted with the people. This was, this was the, uh, back in the day, we, if we were in a relationship, uh, we'd say we had to DTR. We had to define the relationship. This is the defining of the relationship for the Hebrew people. And as we look at it, uh, Jesus is better than even the covenant. There's a key verse uh, that I want you to know. If you catch this verse, you catch Hebrews 8. And it's Hebrews 8, verse 6. Hebrews 8, verse 6 says this, But Jesus has now attained a more excellent ministry. One, 
And to that degree, he is a mediator of a better covenant too, which has been enacted through better promises. Three. If we catch those three things, we see the argument of why Jesus is better than the old covenant. We're going to talk about each of those today. So let's begin with number one, that Jesus has a more excellent ministry or a better ministry. Uh, Now, have you guys ever played paper football? You you fold up the the paper into a triangle and then you flick it and kind of cross and you kick the field goal and all of this, boom. And and my man's been there. Uh, I loved playing paper football uh, when I was a kid uh, because it was something we could do at lunch. And what it did was it reminded us, or we would even enact in playing paper football, uh, the game that we had just seen. Um, so, like, again, if we're living in 2020, um, you know, you might be kicking the field goal. You know, this person holds their thing like this, and you're kicking it. And if you were reenacting, I don't know, say the Red River shootout, like you would reenact uh, as Texas missing the field goal and then losing the game. But if you were an Aggie, you would, uh, you know, when they were playing Florida uh, and they had the upset and propelled them into the top 10 and all this, you would reenact it where you kick it and you make it, right? You see what I'm saying? Is that too soon for Longhorn fans? Too soon? No? Okay. Anyways, and so. Um, laces out, Dan. Um, anyways, uh, and so, uh, so you would reenact it. And the reason that it's made fun, uh, the reason that you do it is because it points you to the real thing. Because you know about the game of football. You know about the stands filled. You know about the excitement, the cheerleaders, the band, the hot dogs, whatever gets you tailgating. It, it reminds you of that. But can you imagine how much different paper football would be if you never knew about real football? Like if you never heard of a stadium full of people, all you ever knew was flicking a folded piece of paper. And in your mind, that was the fullness. That Not only was that the fullness of football, that's what football was. Can you imagine then um, your shock and the pull and the tension um, if someone were to then introduce you to real football? And they say, no, 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 this, this thing called a field goal, oh no, we can actually do that on a field in real life. And there are going to be 11 people who really dislike you and they're going to try to tackle you and hit you. And there are going to be hundreds of thousands of people in the stands cheering for me. Could you imagine how your mind would go, oh man, like really? Yes, yes. You see this paper football thing, it was good, but it meant, it's meant to point to something bigger than itself. And you can imagine how then if you started going, you know, I want to play real football. And, and it's exciting until all of a sudden somebody 320 pounds tackles you out of nowhere. And you're like, wait a minute. You know what? Paper football didn't hurt like this. All of a sudden you're going to two-a-days. You go, you know, when I was playing paper football on the table, I didn't have to sweat this much. I have to work out or run sprints. All of a sudden there's a little bit of tension. You go, you know, why don't we just go back to, to the old thing? Because it didn't hurt like this. And what you and I, as someone who knows the grand, grandness of what we would say, because paper football is just a shadow. It's a, it's a copy that's meant to point to something so much more than itself. Now, if you can catch that up here, then you can begin to understand what Jewish Christians were going through. Because for their entire history, all they knew was paper football the old covenant. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and says, no, 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 no. All this that you've known for generation after generation was pointing to this new thing. 
thing called football, the new covenant, you see. And so in Hebrews, uh, beginning in chapter 8 and verse 1, says this. Now the main point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary in the true tent that the Lord and not any mortal has set up. Now let's pause. This is going to cause the Jewish person to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what? Because in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, that was the place that heaven and earth became one. As they traveled through the wilderness in the tabernacle, that was the place where God and earth, heaven and earth, became one. And the author is now saying, no, we have a high priest who is above that, who is beyond that, uh, that there is someone greater than the priest. We talked about it last week. There's someone greater than the priest that you know. There's something bigger than this tabernacle that you've had all of these years. It was pointing to this new moment where heaven would invade earth where uh, the high priest would make it possible for us to interact with God. And so then he goes on and he says, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Hence, it's necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would be not a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They offer worship in a sanctuary that is a sketch and a shadow of the heavenly one. In other words, the priest that have been offering sacrifices, that you've been following, the whole, that temple is paper football. The temple that Jesus offers is what that paper football has been pointing to. For Moses, when he was about to erect the tent, was warned, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But now Jesus has attained a more excellent ministry. To that degree, he is a mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted through better promises. In other words, the thrust of all of this, as we get into Jesus is better than the old covenant, the thrust of this is, as N.T. Wright says, is that the readers must learn to distinguish between the copy and the reality. He's saying this thing that you're being called back to is a copy. The thing you're being called forward to is reality. And so like small children discovering that there was such a thing as real live football for which their tabletop game was just a substitute. And they must learn to celebrate and enjoy the real thing and not cling on to the copy. Now this must have presented a particular challenge to those Jewish Christians who all their lives had looked to the Jerusalem temple as a focus of devotion the place of pilgrimage, the very house of God, and to the priest who served in the temple as God's representatives for all times. What he's saying is that the call is to leave the copy behind and to move to the real thing. But they've only known the copy. And that's why it's so easy to go back. It's why it's so tempting to go back to this old way. And he's just making this argument, no, no, no. What the covenant, what the temple, what the priest, all of that that you want to go back to was pointing to right where you are. So don't go back. You know, as I think about that and I try to wrap my mind around it, I wonder, are we today 
holding on to any Jesus copies? Are, are there any places in our lives where, where we have but a shadow of Jesus and we think, you know, the shadow or the idea or the expectation or the way that I've molded Jesus works for me? And, and I don't want to go to the real thing because the copy makes me really comfortable. We hold on tight to our ideas of Jesus. And then when Jesus challenges us that with that, rather than changing us, we try to change Jesus. I'm convinced that there are people today that if Jesus stood on a debate stage and said something different than their political views, they would disown Jesus. They say, you know, Jesus, you really ought to read the Bible sometime because if you did, you would see it the way that I see it. You see, that's holding on to a shadow. It's holding on to something. And, 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 and and ask Jesus to bless them. I want Jesus to be involved in my plans. I just don't want him to create them. It's but a shadow. When we write narratives about ourselves, when we tell ourselves for so long that I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable enough, I'm damaged goods, or, 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 or we refuse to receive an encouragement or a compliment. When someone encourages you, here's what they're doing. They're speaking the best about who you are. When someone prays over you or they give you an encouragement, they're seeing a glimpse of who God has created you to be. But sometimes we hold on to the narrative, well, that can't be true about me. And so what happens? We say, oh, no, 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 that's not me. Oh, no, no, no. It's, you know what? It's just God. I'm just a beggar trying to tell another beggar where to get some bread. Not me. <laughs> that can't be true. And we try to have this false humility. But a shadow, when someone encourages you, they're calling you into something bigger, into the fullness of Jesus. And friends, I want to encourage us today. Don't hold on to a copy of Jesus. The copies, the shadows are meant to point us to the real thing, to the real game. We're running around playing paper football when we're called to go to Cowboy Stadium, to Kyle Field, to the Super Bowl. That's where you're meant to be. Some of us are running around playing paper football like it's the real thing. We do it because we've been doing it for a long time. Can I encourage you today? Don't hold on to a mistake just because you spent a long time making it. Don't hold on to it just because it's super. It's a teddy bear. It's that little blanket. It's a pacifier. You don't need it. But you've been holding on to it because you just don't know any different. You just call no, no, no. Let's go forward. Let's come into the new, right? The second way that the author of Hebrews argues that Jesus is better than the covenant, old covenant, don't go back, is he says that Jesus now offers a better covenant, that he offers a covenant now that will do what the first could not. You see, the first covenant was, was made between God and between man, and it kind of sounded like this. God will do this if you do that. God is faithful to his part, that you need to be faithful to yours. And when you're not, there will be consequence. And we saw the consequence back and forth and back and forth. But in Hebrews 8 and 7, it says this, for if that first covenant had been faultless, if the old covenant that's calling them back, if the shadow had been faultless, there would have been no need to look for a second one. But God finds fault with them when he says. And here, the author of Hebrews 
quotes Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It's the longest quote uh, to date in Hebrews. It says, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I had no concern for them, says the Lord. Now that threw me off when I read it. I said, no concern? What are you, what are you talking about? What does that mean? Went back and read Jeremiah, began to wrestle through it. And the idea in the picture is that uh, the people were an unfaithful spouse. That God was faithful and they cheated on God. They were adulterous. And so God was released from the bounds of his covenant. That, hey, you, you broke the deal. And so I have no obligation to you now. And yet, God says, no, no, no. And yet, I am going to offer a new covenant. And the new covenant is going to be made on better promises. We'll get to that soon. But the new covenant will not be contingent upon you keeping your end of the deal. I'm just going to keep both ends of the deal. You see, that's the better covenant. Because again, all throughout the people of Hebrews, here's what they would do. In the old covenant, they would say, God, we need you. Come rescue us. And God would rescue them. And then God would get them out into a good spot. And they would go, you know what? I got it from here, God. Thanks, man. I really appreciate You got me out of a spot. You really did. But you know what? I got it from here. We're good. And then they would go on about their way. And what they happened? Boy, they tripped over their feet in the open field. Right? They stumbled quick, fast, and in a hurry. They start thinking, my, my pretty good ideas are going to get me very far. And they find out that their best ideas got them in their worst spots. And they would get there, and then there would be consequence. And they would call, God, would you come save us? And God would come save them again. They go, whew, God, we're so glad you saved. You know what? We got it this time. This time we learned our lesson. I promise God this time I won't do it again. And then what happened? They did it again. Turns out you're not the first to break your promises to God. You're not the first to struggle. Right? It happened again and again and again. And so God said, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. I wonder today. Is there any sense of I've got it from here, God, ness in you? I mean, you, you think about where you are, where you're being pulled, where you're being tempted. Is there any sense of, yeah, God, I got it from here? Because if there is, it's kind of like going back to the old covenant. It's kind of like living out the way that they are tempted to go back to, to doing it on their own. Friends, I'm just going to tell you, and I think that every one of us could testify, that we've all been in spots where we've done it on our own, and we've all been in spots where we say, God, I need to let you do it all. And I think we can all testify that there is one that's much better than the other. Right? But know that that doesn't that doesn't absolve you from doing work. The way I like to think about it is like this. I'm going to prepare like God will do nothing. And then when I get there, I let God do everything. That there's a sense of, you know, I got to bring something to the table. There's a sense of God has given me responsibility, but I'm not doing it on my own. That my hands are open. And what God wants, I'm going to, I'm going to let God do it. And that's the basis of the new covenant that God would make it happen, and yet we have a responsibility to say, yes, God, I want you to be the boss of my life. Because I want to follow you. It's the new covenant. And so the third way, that, the second way that he makes his argument is that the new covenant isn't based on the old 
terms. It's got new terms. And the third way that he says, look, don't go back to the old covenant because Jesus is better is in the better promises. And he continues in quoting Jeremiah 31 and he says this, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts that I will be their God and they shall be my people. Friend, God loves you so much. You have a home in his family. I know that there's some bad dads out there. But God is a good dad. I know that there's some moms that have fallen short. But even the scriptures talk about how the Holy Spirit almost has this motherly, caring putting under the wingness. God will care for you when it feels like no one else will. When it seems like you're all on your own, God has never once turned his back on you. You are his people. And he'll never forget it. And he goes on and he says, I will be merciful, in verse 12, I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Friends, this is the argument. that He says this new covenant built on better promises does what the old covenant could not do. Because year after year after year, priests had to give sacrifices not only for the others, but for themselves. And it never ever washed away sins. It just kicked the can down the road a little bit. You know the problem with kicking the can down the road? When you get down the road, the can is still there. And Jesus says in this new covenant, by my blood, I do what the old could not do. That I wipe away sins forever. And so what is old and obsolete is growing and growing old will soon disappear. He says the old covenant's going away. It's expired, right? It's an iPhone 2 and it can't handle the iPhone 37 operating system. So you might as well just go on and kick it down the road because get rid of it because it's not going to do you any good. You can go back to it but it's not going to get you where, it need, where you need to be. He says, but there is a new covenant built on better promises. So don't go back. It's here that he, N.T. Wright again uh, summarizes all of this. And he says, the point Hebrews wishes to make about the new covenant, as we see in verse 12, is that through it, sins have at last been forgiven. With this previous covenant, temple, priesthood, and all are out of date and about to disappear. This is the most powerful argument yet in the letter of Hebrews for the importance of holding on to Jesus instead of going back to the apparent safety of Judaism. If God has abolished, has established the new thing, he had always promised to go back to the old is foolish as well as disloyal. See, friends, the writer of Hebrews isn't pulling any punches He's gone through and said, look, he's better than Moses. I know you like Moses. He's better than Moses. I know you like the angels. He's better than the angel. I know you like the priest. He's better than the priest. But listen, I'm just telling you, if you go back to the old way, you're not going to get where you want to be. You're not going to find life as it's meant to be. And not only that, it's straight up disloyal. Um, understand that this is going to carry political undertones for them. Understand this is going to carry identity undertones for them. Understand this is going to carry life-threatening undertones for them. And yet the author says, Jesus is better than all of that. Whatever it costs you, 
it's worth it. So don't go back. It's why the author of Hebrews can go through all of eight and nine in the beginning of 10 and make this argument about how Jesus is better than the covenant and all of this and then give this encouragement at the end. Hebrews 10, 19 and 25. The scripture says this. So now friends from the message. So now friends, we can, we can now without hesitation walk right up to God into the holy place. In the old covenant, you can't do that. Got to have somebody that goes before you that, that is the mediator. It says, no, Jesus is now that mediator. That we have access to God. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice what the old covenant couldn't do. Acting as our priest before God, the curtain into his presence is his body. So let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. You see, Jesus has written a new story for you. Let us keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. You know why you got to hold on to promises to keep going? Because the evil one's going to try to get you to stop. Your faith isn't broken when you're tempted to give up and quit. But he's saying, listen, that's when faith happens. So hold on tight and keep going. God always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. You see, this section, just like each of them before, the ones after, make an argument. Jesus is better, so don't go back. It says, look, the Old Testament, they've been pointing. They were paper football pointing to the big show. Don't you see it? Jesus is better. Don't go back. And now let me encourage you right now. Let me encourage you. You're in the thick of it. So you don't go back, but you keep on going. That's Hebrews. It's Hebrews 8. But it's our lives. We're tempted to go back. I'll close with this. C.S. Lewis wrote, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. When we go back to the old ways, whatever they are for you, it's like going back to the mud pies, going back to the slums. When Jesus says, no, don't you see the joy, the excitement, the adventure that you think is found in the mud? It's just meant to point to something better. I am the better. So don't go back. Friends, I know these days are hard. I don't know the details of what you left at home to be here, what's waiting for you when you go back. But God does. And his response to the hardship is solidarity. He says, I'm with you. Always. In Hebrews 13, we'll read scriptures promise that he will never leave us or forsake us never turn his back on us. The context of that, when they want to give up following Jesus because they're being persecuted financially. Nobody comes to their business anymore because they're following Jesus so they can't make any money. And Jesus says, no, no, I'll never leave you. 
I'll never forget about you. They can boycott your business, but I'm not going to boycott you. I know it's hard, but God offers hope. Hebrews 6 and 19 says, This hope is a sure and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Hold on to that which can withstand the storm. Jesus is better, friends. Don't go back. Let's pray. I know that there's some in here today who think they have to have real big shoulders to carry the burdens that they're facing. They have to work a little bit harder and sacrifice a little bit more. They've got to pull down and dig a little bit deeper, pull themselves up a little bit higher by the bootstraps because that's just what they do. They don't have a choice. There's no one else that'll do it for them. They feel like they got to fight for their family because their spouse isn't. That they got to fight for their kids because no one else will. That there's some bitterness about the hardship that they're facing. That there's some narratives that have been carried for a long time. They're not loved the way someone else is loved. They didn't get what somebody else got. And it makes them angry at you. They don't want to have faith. They just want to have anger and bitterness. And in spite, they just want to prove you wrong. God, I pray today that you would touch their heart that you would melt their heart of stone. That you would cut through all of the noise and all of the defenses. You would help them see that you've never once turned your back on them. That when they felt all alone, that you were there, that you were protecting them from what they could not see. That you were giving them strength that they didn't know came from you. God, would you help them see that all of the things that they've been fighting and striving for, that it's really just you. They just tried to, just got focused on the copy. And I pray for new life. Just know there's just a lot of hurt. And the evil one, a joker tries to use it draw us away from you. We pray in the name of Jesus that the evil one would have no foothold in the families of Riverside community. We pray in the name of Jesus that the evil one would have no footholds in marriages, that the evil one would have no footholds in the lives of our children, that the evil one would have no footholds because of our past, 
that the evil one would have no footholds that would hinder us from the future that you've called us to, that the evil one would have no foothold in our minds or in our hearts or in our identities or in our belonging or in our purpose, that the evil one would have no footholds in our lives, but instead that the evil one would be cast out, that he would be defeated, that he would be trampled upon by the resurrected Christ, that as we see the cross, we see victory. As we see the cross, we see new life. As we see the cross, we see a better covenant and a better way. And that all that has been pointed to from all of the scriptures have been pointing to this, that though the covenant may have changed, your purposes never did, that you have been faithful from the beginning because it's all that you can be. And I pray in the name of Jesus that somebody today would receive that faithfulness, that somebody today would receive that new life. God, would you bring it to them? You're so much better. You're so much better. Would you give us the strength to continue on? We can't do it on our own. We tried that. That covenant didn't work. You found fault and that didn't work. But now there's a new way. to say amen right now and then we leave but I just I'm thinking of some people and I won't say your name but I just want you to know I'm thinking about you God sees you He sees your pride and it doesn't disqualify you instead James chapter 4 and verse 6 but God gives more grace and your pride's been keeping you brother Husband, your pride has been keeping you, but God gives you more grace. You're not weak for needing grace. You can't become who you are meant to be without it. Grace required. Don't go back. You're at a fork in the road. I'm talking to you. You know who you are. You're at a fork in the road. God has brought you to this place. You can go one direction or the other. You can go back to where you came, back to where you've been, back to all of the heartache, back to all of the pain, back to all of the not enoughness. You can go back to that and it's going to be comfortable and it's going to be easy. And quite frankly, nobody's going to expect anything different from you. But for God. Or you can step into the river and let the current carry you where you don't know you're going to go. And you're not going to be in control. And you're going to have to come face to face with the ways that you've hurt your bride. And the way that you've hurt your family. Your spouse. You're going to have to come face to face with it. But God gives more grace. And when you come face to face with it, when you own it, you can be forgiven and new life can come. That's the better way of Jesus. That's the new covenant. Accomplishes what the old could not. God, thanks for loving us. Thanks. Hebrews 4 says that the word of the Lord is living and active, that it pierces down to bone and marrow. God, I'm thankful that that's not just scripture, but that even in this moment, through a screen, in person, on a podcast in a couple days, 
that you speak and we can hear. Give us the strength at this fork in the road to choose to not go back, but to choose you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.